Hello, courageous friends. This is Nancy Engel. Welcome to episode number 41 of A Life That Lasts. It's October 8, 2021. I'm here with Kendall Keeler, the author of Your Last 24. Keeler, what are we going to talk about today? So today I thought we would talk about a book that I've been reading. Um, It's called The Soul of Shame, and it's written by uh, Kurt Thompson, who is an MD um, in uh, understanding the mind. Um, Now, you might wonder why in the world are we talking about this? What does shame have to do with death? There's a lot in this book that really stood out to me um, related to this idea of of death and shame. And um, one of the things that I found uh, somewhat I don't know if I want to say I found it surprising, but it was interesting to think about is how much a person can be affected by someone who isn't even alive anymore Mm. in a good way or in a bad way. I believe it. Um, And so there's a number of things that um, I've been personally grappling with and... um, So let me just start by uh, reading this and see if this whets our appetite a little bit about thinking about shame. Uh, The author writes, Shame is a shared process whose mission is to disrupt connection between people. Read that again. Shame is a shared process meaning there's more than one person involved in the experience of shame. And its mission is to disrupt connection between people. Okay. What happens if you, uh, I find that the cover of the book is helpful. Uh, Illustration on the cover is of a person with their head down. And if you think about shame turns us away from people rather than toward people. Mm And uh, in one of our staff meetings the other day, we were talking about healthy conflict within teams. And uh, our uh, the president of the organization that I work for was saying that the word uh, confront refers to facing someone. Mm-hmm. Front, mm-hmm. confront. Mm-hmm. You turn towards someone front. Mm-hmm. Um, rather than away from another person. And sometimes mm-hmm. we think to confront is like a negative thing. It's actually a, a good and important thing to turn towards someone, mm-hmm. to say, I want to work through whatever's going on mm-hmm. so that we can resolve. So here's one spot where he references the idea of how uh, we can be affected um, in the area of shame, even related to someone whom um, we may no longer have a uh, close connection with physically. Um, He's talking about a particular person that he had worked with, and he said that this particular patient said um, he realized that stories are never told in isolation, but are always a collaborative affair. Um, For even, and then this is the author talking, he says, for even my father who has been deceased for several decades, I can still hear his voice in my ear, Mm -hmm. smell his cologne, and see him sitting in his favorite chair. There is 
a, um, an effect that others can have on us, even if they are no longer physically here. Mm. There's things that we remember about mm-hmm. them. So now let me uh, go back to the beginning here and just make sure that people are understanding what this idea of shame is referring to. Uh, shame's goal is to divide and conquer, the author would say. So isolation and disconnection are natural consequences of hiding and resisting re-engagement. We, we want to isolate, we want to move away from people whenever we feel this sense of shame. But in order for us to flourish, I'm reading from the book here, we need to be able to connect with others. But this connection is deeply rooted in our ongoing work to increase the de- degree of connection we experience in our own minds. Now he's he's heading into something very very interesting here that usually it's own, our own minds that cause us to be tempted to turn away from people. Um, in our own minds when we deal with something we begin even turning away from ourselves internally. Now this sounds strange, but if you think about the idea of lying to yourself, like um, we can be the best salespeople in our own heads. We can tell ourselves, oh, you know, um, yeah, it's it's really not that bad. You know, it's, it's only a blank. It's, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I'm not as bad as blank. We, we, start filling, we start telling ourselves these stories of um, uh, kind of a divided heart. And how about stories like, nobody likes me, I'm left out all the time. Yes. To me, that sounds like shame as well. Yes, that is. That is that, and all and then of those, you start turning away. Yep. All of those are lies. Mm-hmm. You know, no one likes me. Mm-hmm. That's not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and yes, when we start telling ourselves these lies, we 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 betray ourselves. Yeah, and um, we start turning away from people and turning away from those that can actually help us. Is there is that the same as saying a spirit of rejection? It, sure, because some I mean, people have that what I would call a spirit of rejection on them. And they automatically are pushing people away because they expect to be rejected. Mm -hmm. So if you're living in this place of shame, you, again, you expect to be rejected. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you turn away as a result. Yeah. And what what can happen is, um, and let me me, uh, really try and get as, as personal about this as possible is that one of the reasons this book um, I'm finding helpful is because I've been um, interacting with a family member dealing with addiction. And one of the things that we've had to learn as a family is that addiction isn't just an individual problem. It is a problem that has occurred within the family as well. Because what can happen in a family is a person who is having any kind of negative behavior, they can become the one who dominates whether we're all doing okay or we're not doing okay. True. Um, you can think about this in a classroom with students. You can have you know one student that's being 
say disruptive or maybe not intentionally disruptive maybe somebody stepped on their toe and they're just crying so they're wailing in the middle of the classroom and all of the children they can't concentrate anymore because someone is hurting someone is crying and there's no teaching happening at the moment mm -hmm. or at least not about the subject at hand mm -hmm. so the way we respond to other people in our lives really affects what happens in our relationship with them and um it starts though with me and that's i think that's what i'm really finding the most powerful in this book is how much the author is challenging me to make sure i'm doing the internal work that i need to do to to recognize the things that divide myself from others, mm -hmm. the things that divide me from God, the things um, that that uh, separate relationships. In my book, I reference that death, there are multiple types of deaths. We can have physical death, which separates us physically from others, but there are worse kinds of death than just physical death we could uh, have a loved one who has physically died and yet our relationship with them feels more broken not just because they're no longer physically here but because emotionally we have a separation in that relationship mm -hmm. and it's important for people to have the courage to do what First John 1 talks about to walk in the light so that we can have fellowship one with another. And shame is what tempts us to not walk in the light. It tempts us mm -hmm. to uh, continue to, um, to isolate. Hide. To hide, yeah. If you think about Adam and Eve in the garden, mm -hmm. what was their first response when they uh, ate of the fruit they were isolating themselves mm -hmm. they're like i don't covering themselves up yeah hiding yeah. yeah so as we're recording this podcast nancy and i are in um the spa um the uh, what sp <laughs> spare spa room. spare room um <laughs> that was a reference to narnia uh the spare room was where uh, the children uh, would go into the wardrobe and enter Narnia. Oh, okay. And uh, so I'm I'm calling this the spare room uh, because it is a spare room in our house. It's it's used for a number of different things. Sometimes, it's obvious. Yeah, sometimes my office. Um, but on this wall uh -huh. is a series of post-it notes yes. in which I am attempting to lay out my second book. And, um, I was going to ask you about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this is the attempt of, of trying to make sense of book number two. Okay. And uh, in that book, I'm trying to tell a story of a widow um, and how she is grappling with the loss of her husband. And mm -hmm. um, there's a mother-in-law and a friend, and they're all part of this grappling process as mm -hmm. well. And... One of the things that I I believe is, is likely to occur as I finish writing this story is that um, 
there will there will be this sense of her struggling with um, shame in in not feeling like she's really honoring the legacy of her husband, not doing enough to to really make sure that he's remembered and celebrated, you know, because he was a um, an important part of their family's life. And so mm -hmm. uh, she will go a little over the top in trying to do that. And um, I'm eager to read it. Yeah. So we'll see how this all plays out. But um, <clears throat> I'm hoping that in telling that story, it will help uh, the reader and myself as an author to recognize what are these negative patterns we get into in which we feel a sense of love for another person. We struggle with this separation, whether it is a physical separation by death, or if it's a um, emotional separation by uh, someone has hurt us, mm -hmm. either intentionally or unintentionally, mm -hmm. and how are we going to deal with that? To have the courage to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light so that we can have fellowship one with another. Um, and what's the end of that verse? And the blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sin. Amen. Yeah. And we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to step on each other's toes. We're all going to cause another person to maybe feel a sense of shame. Yes. We're going to say something sometimes that hurts someone. Yeah. We're going to... Um, and one of the things I learned from this book is it's not just what we say. It's even... Uh, I think he says 60 to 90% of our communication is nonverbal. <laughs> that reminds me. I had a friend confront to me um, about how I came across and she was interpreting my nonverbal like look looking at you like this like kind of uh -huh. skeptical or uh -huh. just like wondering perplexed yeah. eyebrows she down. Yeah. yeah she took that to mean that I'm second-guessing what she's saying mm. that I'm you yeah. know is she took it in a totally and in wrong direction, yeah. according to Different my opinion. Different than how you intended. I was just thinking. I didn't right, know yeah. it was scowling. Right, yeah. You know? So, yes, so much can come across, oh, boy, in in our body language or facial expressions that communicates shame. And I have to say, even in my relationship with my husband, when he is struggling with outside circumstances or feeling weary I so easily take that personally. Mm -hmm. Like, what have I? What have I done? Yeah, it has nothing to do with me, but I will internalize it. Yes, yeah. I'm learning not to, but yeah, that's, that's a natural response. Yep, that is that is a great lead-in um, to another section of this book, uh, the Soul of Shame, that I highlighted. Um, and author Kurt Thompson, he says this. Uh, he says that shame is a neurophysiologic phenomenon that is not bad in and of itself it is rather our system's way of warning of possible of impending abandonment we think uh i'm gonna you know somebody's gonna abandon me i feel mm -hmm. like you know things people are gonna give up on me because you know 
Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to protect myself exactly. from somebody abandoning me. So I'm going to leave first. Yes. You know? <laughs> Even if they... it's just emotionally. Right, right. Yeah. Before I feel abandoned, I'm going to abandon. I'm going to do the abandoning. Right, right. <laughs> and he says this, our problem with it in general is that we tend to respond to it by relationally moving away from others rather than toward them. Oof. Yeah. So what do we do about that? Um, I'm still, I haven't completely finished the book. I'm, I'm getting near the end, but I'm, I'm really finding it helpful to recognize the courage we need to have in moving towards people in uncomfortable situations. Mm -hmm. That when we feel, uh, people that make us feel like we wanna pull away, those are the people we really need to move closer to. I'm making a face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, um, I, And I think what happens so often in our world, you know, we live in a world of social media. And it can be so easy for people to just make a quick comment and say, well, that's taken care of. I made a comment and, you know, I, I <laughs> and what it really is, is it's almost like putting your hand out. And, and saying, I don't want anything to do with you because you're an idiot, you know? Like, I don't agree with you. Well, um, I'm going to say something that may be a bit controversial. Imagine oh, no. <laughs> I encourage you, the people that get you most riled up, get, get you most frustrated, move toward them, not in an attacking way, but in a listening way, in a learning way. And you might say, well, what do I have to learn from them? That's not what God calls us to do. Well, let's think about what Jesus said. Um, whoever did uh, something to the least of these, this is how you've treated me. Well, but that can't be referring to anybody that's bad. When I was in prison, did you visit me? That could not be referring to only physical prison. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. It could be... A prison of drugs? A prison, yes. A prison of, <laughs> of selfishness. So, a so many things. So many things. Shame. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Did you have the courage to come close to me? To visit me. To interact with me, to walk with me through that time. I mean, you look at what Jesus' entire ministry, he was moving close to people that everybody else was moving away from. Very true. He was moving close to the prostitute that all the religious leaders said, you know, we're going to stone her. Mm -hmm. um, he's moving close to the leper, the mm -hmm. one that n nobody else wanted to be close. Mm -hmm. He's moving close to the Romans, the centurion. He goes in and, and raises a child from the dead for a guy whose occupation was, you know... In government? Yes. I mean, it was like... Imagine that. Yes. So, so the challenge that, that God is bringing into my life is to say... What we need to have the courage to do is to continue to push into courageous conversations with people and realize God has a lot 
that he wants to teach us through difficult conversations. And what happens is I think that we are afraid to move into those situations because we feel like, well, I'm not going to be enough. I, I, I'm not sure I can handle that. So I'll just sort of drop a bomb and leave <laughs> instead of really interacting and engaging mm-hmm. in difficult relationships and difficult conversations. Um, yeah, like I see people having conversations on Facebook that I know they would not have those same type face to face. They would not have the guts to do it right. or they would have more self control face to face. Yeah, yeah. Than just throwing something out there. Because the nonverbals social- are there. Yeah. Because then you can see if you've said something that hurts somebody, you actually see the hurt. Yes. Without them ever saying it, you see the pain in their eyes as you're saying what you're saying. Other than suddenly you're like, oh, wait, I'm actually hurting them. Yes. (laughs) Instead of writing something and hitting post. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The person's (laughs) not closing up shop. Yeah. Yeah. They're not really in front of you. So this has been a good book. I've, I've been really enjoying it and, and have been challenged by it in a lot of different ways. Um, just to, to, as we sort of wrap this thing up, there's a lot of, uh, for those out there, you, you might call it psychological mumbo jumbo, you know. Oh, this guy's just psychologist. He's just talking, you know, from the mind, how the mind wants to separate itself from painful things. And so we, you know, we lie to ourselves and we're not even truthful to ourselves. And so we we hide from ourselves, which makes us hide from other people. And and really, and in here, he gets into talking about, you know, hurt that we may have experienced even as a child that may not have even been intentional, but it may have been related to birth order or, you know, somehow a child experiences shame, even though they, you know, the parents weren't intending it. It mm-hmm. was just, uh, you know, maybe... It happens. Yes. Maybe, maybe a parent has to give more attention to a child with special needs, and therefore the other children feel like, well, maybe I'm not enough. I don't, you know, I don't mm-hmm. really experience the closeness, and, and it makes a... I don't experience a closeness to my parents, and so it makes me want to turn away from my parents, and you're really turning away from the one who can actually help you and feel mm-hmm. closer and wants to feel close to you. So um, I want to wrap it up with uh, two other references in Scripture um, for those out there who might be thinking, okay, what did Jesus have to say about this idea that our internal world can affect our external world. And um, in his book, uh, Kurt references Matthew 15. He says this, um, I'll just read the context of of when he references this. Um, He's talking about stories that we tell. See, the subtitle of this is retelling the stories we believe about ourselves. Okay. If you think about the stories we tell ourselves, um, sometimes those stories are true and sometimes they're fictional. We don't, mm-hmm. we don't tell ourselves the truth. Mm-hmm. He says this, Really good stories 
tend to compel our curiosity about what the characters are thinking, feeling, sensing, and so on. In other words, it's an internal battle. Good stories have a, a, um, a villain who has entirely different values than the hero. Mm -hmm. It's not just, hey, I have a, a, you know, a dark sword and you have a light sword and they're doing battle with these swords. No, it's one has one cent of value, a way of living life, which is entirely opposed to the other way of living mm -hmm. life. Now, who's going to win? Which value is going to conquer? Which one is better? So that makes a good story. But realizing what's happening internally in that person is uh, what makes it a good story. To refrain completely from considering the workings of the inner lives of ourselves um, leaves us unable to relate to others in any meaningful way. For surely what we do is an extension of our inner life as Jesus himself reminds us in Matthew 15. And what Jesus uh, is referring to here, um, it, what, what he's talking about in Matthew 15, he is uh, having an interaction with his disciples and the, the teachers of the law during that time period. And they were criticizing uh, the disciples for not doing a... a specific tradition in relation to washing their hands. Jesus wasn't saying it's okay to eat food with dirty hands. He was saying, um, you guys are on this rabbit trail of cleanliness that is, it's going down a path that makes you think that the, the cleaner you can have the outside of your body, the cleaner your inside is going to be. Like if I can wear pure clothes, if I can have clean hands, if I can, you know, look good on the outside, then that shows that I have a clean inside. What do you think of that, Nancy? I'm, I'm just picturing the bowl that Jesus talked about, or cup. Imagine just washing the outside of a cup and letting the remain, the inside be dirty and reusing it, reusing it and thinking, my cup looks so good, but inside, it's horrible, and you're consuming that. <laughs> oh, that, yeah, that's a really, really good picture. That's powerful, yes. But and, we're thinking, yeah, I, I look so, good. Yeah, that, that's a really good picture. So in Matthew 15, uh, Jesus says this, for out of the heart, he says it's from the inside. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, I'll jump, jump one ahead. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. This is what defiles a person. It's coming out from the inside. Mm -hmm. For our, out of our heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. I mean, he's, he's saying it's not, yes, it, it's what's on the inside of us that really uh, reflects on who we are. Mm -hmm. And so as I've read through um, this book, one of the things I've been challenged to think about personally is what's going on internally within me. And to realize that, no, I can't have control over um, 
physical separation from other people. There are times where we are physically separated from other people yes. and we can't help it. Right. Uh, through death, through um, somebody needs to be in the hospital. There's, uh, for some reason, for somebody's job, they need to work on the other side of the world for a while. Whatever, mm -hmm. whatever situation could come up where we're physically separated. Mm -hmm. But what we can control is our connection to other people on the other aspects, uh, spiritual separation or spiritual connection, um, emotional connection or separation, and social. I mean, we can, we can allow somebody to be a part of our life or not allow them mm -hmm. to be a part of our life. Even if they're on the other side of the world, there are ways that we can say, I'm not having anything to do with them or yes, I'm going to allow that person to enter into my world. And so as we wrap this up, uh, one other reference that uh, Kurt refers to in this book, and it goes back to the very, very beginning of Adam and Eve, the interaction with the serpent and the temptation. And I think this will end on a, a, uh, a real practical point for everyone. We see that the serpent has no trouble talking about God rather than inviting the woman to have a conversation with God. Hmm. Isn't that an interesting part? Mm -hmm. She begins the process of analyzing God, of judging him from a distance, rather than interacting with him. To relationally confront our shame requires that we risk feeling it, feeling shame. We, we risk feeling it on our way to healing it. This is the common undercurrent of virtually all relational brokenness. In other words, we're afraid to feel shame, and so we disconnect from somebody else. Uh, the, the serpent's temptation, and I believe this temptation for all of us, if, if anyone out there is feeling a sense of separation, whether it's from somebody that it, you're physically close to or, or physically far from, if you're tempted or you're feeling tempted to allow further division in a relationship, rather than talking about somebody, talk to them. And... Mm -hmm. um, if it happens to be someone who has passed away and you have hurt related to that relationship, what, what I encourage people to do, and I know that um, uh, Kurt uh, gets into this a little bit, is have the courage to rather than avoiding that, rather than avoiding the relationship, move closer in that relationship, saying... I really want to understand more about what was happening in my dad's life and why he went so much off the rails and uh, what can I learn from that, how I cannot do that. Because what happens is they say those that are abused become abusers. Mm -hmm. Those that have been hurt become herders. You know, they're, and herders isn't really a word, but... <laughs> What happens is we don't address the pain in our lives. We avoid it. And in doing so, we end up becoming a person who hurts other people. Totally unintentionally. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's my challenge to you all who are listening today. Have the courage to, rather than avoiding people or situations that make you feel uncomfortable, have the courage to push through the feeling of shame that you might have. I'm not going to be enough. Can I really deal with this? Move into that deeper and realize that that's ultimately how you can become a more beautiful person on the inside so that the words of your mouth, the meditation of your heart can ultimately bring praise and glory to God. That's our show for today. Blessings to you and to those you love. We're glad you have been listening to us talk about living a life that lasts. Now, it's your turn. Courageously, sacrificially, live this week in such a way that your life will be a life that lasts.